At this time, we prepare to worship the Lord with his tithe and our offering today. And if you are one of our guests, we don't expect you to participate in the offering. But we, we're going to be doing something soon that you can participate in if you'd like to. Something that's going to have some incredible uh, benefits and dividends enjoined to it. Because we're going to do something for Israel. And God said about 4,000 years ago, if you bless my people, I will bless you. And we've been blessed. We have, this church has felt the effect of having helped Israel in past years. We didn't do anything last year, the Christmas offering. But this year, the Christmas offering is designated to feed the orphans their medication in Haiti, as we do every year. And also to uh, liberate some people at a very uh, critical time that are Jews and they, they have this insatiable desire to get back to Israel. Now can you imagine that? What would possess them to want to get back to Israel? Other than the, just the pure prophecy of God according to Isaiah. And uh, we'll be looking at that a little later on. To the veterans, all of you veterans, uh, don't leave the service when the service is over. We're going to need you down here on the steps for a group photograph and we'll have a copy made for you if you're interested in that. Uh, we'd like to... And you can prove to your buddies that you were in church today with it later on, okay? We'd like to do that. And um, just a number of other things that are going on tonight. You've got to be here tonight. Whatever you've got scheduled for tonight, just cancel it. Anything short of an operation, you need to be here. Doctors Elmer Towns and Harold Wilmington are going to be on either side of this platform. And they're going to be in the hot seat because... Uh, I've got about 20 questions to ask them that are tough, tough questions, Bible questions. Uh, nothing as simple as where did Cain get his wife? We know, where, we know where, how that was put together. He got his wife from his mother-in-law, same place you got yours. But anyway, um, they're going to be answering these questions, and they'll be on the big screen for you to consider. But some questions that you've wondered about, and, it, and not only is it going to be very informative, it's probably going to be a lot of fun if you've seen these two together. Uh, they were my professors 35 years ago, and they're still teaching, and they are great. So tonight at 5 o'clock. Right now, let's look to the Lord in prayer. And uh, let me remind you that on um, the 21st day of December, we'll be receiving our Christmas offering. More about that later. Father, bless now this offering and use it for your praise and glory. And thank you for the way you've blessed this church. And Lord, there are people in this very congregation who've been through some deep waters recently. And I just pray that your special blessing would abide upon each. And, and there are people in this congregation, Lord, who are going to be going through deep waters. So prepare our hearts not to complain, Lord, if we should hit turbulence, but to trust in you. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. May this be our creed. In Jesus' name. Amen.
We are in the book of Isaiah, chapter number 53, which is a very familiar passage to uh, Bible students because it, it is um, so descriptive of what would happen on the cross. Isaiah came along about 750 years before Jesus was born in Bethlehem's manger. What he had to say was so absolutely accurate and dead on target. It had to be an utterance given to him by God. He couldn't possibly have known or been able to foresee into the future this kind of uh, accuracy with respect to the Lord's death. David, in Psalm 22, spoke about the death of Jesus and described the manner and the method by which he would be uh, killed. And at that point in time, a full 1,000 years before the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem's manger, crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. And yet he described not only the method, but the effect it would have on the human body, the body of Jesus. Now I want you to understand this morning before we get into this and we talk about the uh, gospel according to Isaiah, that Jesus was no mere man as he addressed the problems and the issues of those around him. When the woman was dragged into his presence in the 8th chapter of the Gospel of John, having been taken in the act of adultery, and then the writer John said, in the very act of adultery, Jesus knew that it was a setup from the word go. He knew that something was terribly wrong about this whole thing because they had enough sense to know that the Levitical law required that the woman be presented to the, to the priest and there she would be examined and if necessary, if she was proven guilty of a capital offense, she would be stoned to death. But they, Jesus knew that they knew that it also required the presence of the man who was involved with her. And so he knew all of this. He had this, this intellect, and I apologize to the Savior for applying the word intellect to his, his um, intelligence quotient because he was without measure, mega intelligent. He knew what was in men, according to John's Gospel, chapter 2. But physiologically, as far as the body is concerned, he got tired just like you do. Later we'll learn that he, if you punctured his skin, he would bleed just like you would. He was in all points just like we are in many, many ways. And Isaiah's account is one of that, facing the physiological aspects of the cruel suffering. But now as we consider this, and as we look at this, we like to think that it's all about us. That's a phrase and that's something that uh, it gets thrown around in our culture a lot. You know, it's, it's all about us, you know, it's all about me, sort of, so to speak. And if it's not all about me, I'm really not interested in hearing about it because, hey, I'm a good subject. And that's sort of the attitude that people take on. And so as we begin this passage, we see that that may be correct. Look, if you will, beginning in verse number 4. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. 
But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. Well, we learn here that what he did, he did because of us. So I guess we could say in one sense it is all about us. But then when we look at it more closely and take the verses apart, at some point we realize that it's really all about him. Because it says what he did, he did because of us. What he did, he did because of the problems we had. Look at the personal pronouns if you would. He hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. He was wounded for our transgressions. Transgressions are those things you do that you know you shouldn't do, but you do them anyway because you're, you're going to do them. You're going to do it no matter what people tell you, no matter what your parents say, your grandparents, or those people who are in capacities to help you, school teachers, whatever, you're going to do it anyway. Well, he was wounded because of all of that. I want you to know that your stubbornness caused him to bleed. You've got you to come to grips with that. Your self-will caused him to bleed. He didn't bleed for his own sins because he had no sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised. He was bruised for our iniquities. What are iniquities? Iniquities, that's very popular today. It's very faddish. It's a stylish a lifestyle. It's something that's very uh, um, in, in the go today, if, I, if you please. Uh, Iniquities, but we don't use the word iniquity. Here's what we use. It's my life. I can do what I want to with it. It's not your life. You are the product of your father and your mother. It's called procreation. It is a miracle of God. And no matter how adverse the circumstances may have been at your conception or at your birth or at your life following your birth, it doesn't really matter. You belong to others. They belong to you. No matter, again, no matter how adverse it may be. There may be somebody in this room with a more comical background than my own. Maybe. But I still owe people. You, many of you weren't here Wednesday night. I want to share this with you. I was at Duke Hospital. I was visiting Landy. And I was out in the hallway, and I was talking to Debbie on the phone when this man passed with the white jacket on, obviously a doctor, and I thought I recognized him. And he walked on by, and I said, I got to go. Closed the phone, and I said, Dr. Moore. And he stopped, and he said, yes. And I went to him, and I said, I'm Lamar Mooneyham. Do you remember me? He said, you're Marcin's boy. I said, that's right. And it was 23 years ago. He said, how are you all doing? I said, we're doing pretty good, all things considered. I've missed my mother, but we're doing pretty good. He said, she was a fine Christian woman. And you know, closure is an amazing, magical element of life. 
It doesn't have to be a long conversation. It doesn't have to be one that you planned. It just happened. And closure comes to a situation that you really had wanted to close the door on a long time ago. And I walked away that day just having been blessed of God to talk to him for a few moments. And he hadn't changed a bit. I said, I saw your face in a publication, but I don't recall what it was. He says, probably one of those th magazines they print about smart doctors. <laughs> I said, well, then you will be in it. Yes. But I mean, we're responsible to other people. Even our past calls and beckons us. So this attitude, it's only my life, and if it's my life, I can do what I want to do. That's iniquity. That's taking this and saying to this, not interested. I'll write my own version if you don't mind. I'll write my own Bible. I'll do as I please. And you're not going to tell me what to do. I'll do what I want to do. And usually that's accompanied by a slamming door. And you just, when that happens, you've just been in the presence of a fool. Because I'm here to tell you, even at my age, we don't get to do what we want to do in life, do we? It never works out that way. There's just a lot of stuff in life we don't want. And if we could opt out, we would opt out. If we could pass over, we'd, pass, we'd say, I don't want that course. I want to take another course. I'd rather buy into an elective. No, that's a required course. It's a 400-level course, and it's in character building. And you will take it, and you will take it till you pass it. He was bruised for our iniquities. Jesus took a beating because of our rebellion. You say, Pastor, I wasn't even here yet. That included the future too. It includes last night too. There's no way around it. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. That's a strange phrase, but what it means, to secure our peace, he had to do it. He had to contribute something that would secure our peace that we could not secure because our lives were tainted. Our lives were speckled with all of this rebellion and self-will and it's all about me business. We had ruined our lives. We were in no position to stand before a holy God and say, God, take me back, forgive me, I'll do things your way. We, we had ruined that opportunity. So the chastisement of our peace was riding on Him. He had never sinned. He could buy our peace from God the Father because He was a perfect sacrifice. And by His stripes, we are healed. And that has nothing to do with physical healing. That has everything to do with spiritual healing. By His stripes, oh, He endured an awful beating. Yeah, it was all about us. I guess it was after all. Because of what he did. Now, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. If you've ever suffered, if you've ever had a, a, some kind of a physiological pain, something that happened to you. I can recall as a kid we were, we were loading firewood on the back of an old sled. It didn't have wheels, it was a sliding apparatus behind an old tractor and uh, mama had loaned the tractor to the neighbor and he and his son and myself we were loading this stuff on and we were riding on those logs while he was pulling the tractor and we got up on a hill and he choked it off and he let it roll back and that crossbar that goes between those two arms rolled back on my ankle and pinned it between those logs and uh, for a few moments I saw Jesus I saw Santa Claus. I, saw, I got right with God for about a minute and a half. I mean, I, it was excruciating pain. 
And then finally it dawned on him, don't try to start the tractor, just pull the wood away from the back and just you know, take away the pressure. And then there was that time in my senior year that I accidentally got uh, on the wrong end of a handgun and managed to shoot myself uh, through the midsection. That was rather painful. I saw Jesus. I saw Santa Claus. <laughs> Dr. King had just been shot two weeks earlier. I saw Martin. Um, it was, it was, it was you know, and the, I never knew that it burned so hot that, that, a, that, a, that a, a, a wound like that was just hot. And it wasn't hot as in stylish, it was hot as in hot. <laughs> but any of the pain that I've ever suffered in my life physically falls far short and will in no way compare to the pain that Jesus suffered. The Lord, God, laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He bore all of it on the cross of Calvary. And, uh, and He did not rely on supernatural strength to do it. He faced it as a man. Now, this morning, and this is the gist of the message, I suppose, I wanted you to see this because I thought this was most interesting. There are uh, various wounds that one can suffer. And of course, Jesus, uh, he, he paid for hours, as I've already stated. But the transgression aspect and the iniquity aspect cover the whole set of uh, possibilities. There are five kinds of wounds we can suffer. And you might want to write those in the margin of your Bible somewhere near Isaiah 53 beginning with about verse 6. Because I think they're extremely interesting. And those of you that are in medicine or you are related in some way to the medical field, you will understand these. And forgive me if I don't pronounce everything right. But first of all, there's the contusion. Contused or contusion. That is a, that is a wound that the physical body can suffer. The contusion by definition, is a wound that results from a blow delivered by a blunt instrument. In this case, it would be a fist. Because after the Romans gathered the Lord there and they thought, well, you know, we got to keep this scrawny Nazarene Jew who claims to be a king, so we might as well have a little bit of sport and a little bit of fun with him. And so this, this wound... He was wounded for our transgressions. Okay, give us the variety of the wounds. Number one, a contusion. It was caused by a Roman soldier balling up his fist after Jesus was blindfolded and hitting him with total force just under the eye. Now you do this several times and you have what I call a fetal face. Usually a picture of a fetal child they're just puffy around the eyes because they're not developed yet. They're just, they're being developed by the Lord. But uh, uh, this is a sad thing for someone who's absolutely been beaten uh, beyond recognition. And according to Isaiah, he was. He was blindfolded, then punched with great force in the face. Now, since this is all about you, I want to keep that in the forefront. He, he took a beating for you. His eyes were swollen and shut for you. This is the man who was able to touch other men's eyes and open them though they were technically legally blind. He was able to touch someone's twisted limb and it straightened and they could walk again. He touched someone's deaf ear and suddenly hearing reappeared where there was none. He even touched a funeral procession and the young man who belonged to the widow of Nain came to life again. In fact, no one ever 
died in the presence of Jesus and no one ever stayed dead in the presence of Jesus. Check your New Testament. But he's about to die now. And the first measure of his wounds, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities, the first measure is the contusion. And it will close his eyes for all intents and purposes. Secondly, is the laceration. A laceration is a wound that is caused by a tearing instrument. When he was scourged, our Lord was chained or he was uh, tied to a post, a stone post that existed for one purpose, to bring prisoners who would be punished and there they would be stripped of most of their clothing and there they would be whipped. And so it is here that the Lord suffered these awful lacerations bound to the post with a whip of many cords, many leather cords embedded with bits of iron or bone at the ends of them. That person, that centurion or whichever person designated with the job of whipping would come, would come full force. He wouldn't just stand there and hit him. He would come full force, a running force, and down the back and across the back and the lower back. He was wounded for our transgressions. And when these bits of bone and iron got into the flesh, the flesh was torn off the back by subsequent blows to the back to the point that, and if you've done medicine, you can appreciate this, the organs would sometimes be exposed the vital organs. Men often died from these wounds, these lacerations. And what I'm thinking up here, he designed those organs. He designed the body. He was gracious enough to come to this earth and divest himself of all power and all possessions to come in order to help mankind. And this is the way they return their thanks. This is the way we say thank you. Subject him to this kind of beating. So we have the contusion. We have the laceration. And then thirdly we have the penetrating wound. The penetrating wound is by a sharp pointed instrument. This was accomplished when he was crowned with his thorns. Do you recall? In order to mock him and to make his humiliation even greater. They said well you know if he's a king. He needs a crown. Let's make him a crown. If we should set out in our countryside to try to put together a crown of thorns, we'd be hard-pressed to do it. But in Jerusalem, there is indigenous to Jerusalem in that area, a, a thorn bush that grows with four-inch thorns. Four-inch thorns. That's right about there. And they are especially sharp. And when woven together, they made a crown for him and they placed it on his head. But that wasn't far enough. Man's contempt was not complete. They had to go a step farther than that. After placing the crown of thorns on his head, then they took a reed, or as we would say, a stick, and smashed him over the head, driving those thorns deeper into the, to the, to the hairline. And... The copious bleeding in that area just flows like a river as he is no doubt drenched in his own blood and if he can open those swollen eyes they are filled with his own blood as he is victimized by this penetrating wound. 
And remember, it's all about us. He was wounded for our transgressions. Before we get too haughty and too proud and think we're too good of a Christian, you know, we caused all this. Because it's all about us. Number four, perforating wound. A perforating wound is a wound that is caused when an instrument passes through the body in some place, in some way. This was accomplished when they threw him on the ground, his back already in ribbons, perhaps organs exposed already. He is thrown down onto the rough timber of that cross and the upright uh, section of it. And then the cross section is put in its proper place and he is nailed. Three, possibly four Roman spikes penetrate, perforate his body. And if you have access to any old world uh, books that give you the human anatomy, you will find then and in some places now, the wrist is considered to be part of the hand. A lot of the artists put the nails here. The nails would not have stayed there because the weight of the body would have been too great and it would have ripped out. But there is a bone right behind your wrist that separates. There are two bones, in fact. There's an opening there. They drove the spikes between those two bones because those two bones would support the weight of his body. And you say, well, I wonder how that felt. Well, how do you think it would feel if I drove an eight-penny nail through the back of your hand, let alone a Roman spike? These were, these were railroad spikes. These were crude spikes. And yet he opened not his mouth. You know any movie star that could do that? I don't. I tell you, Jesus is the real hero in the human race. He endured and didn't open his mouth. And they drove the nails through both wrists and then through the feet and then elevated him. There, the perforation. He was wounded for our transgressions. And then number five, there is the incision. An incision is caused... It results from a cut produced by a sharp-edged instrument, a knife or a sword. And this was the last indignity that the Romans could inflict upon the Lord Jesus Christ as he was elevated between heaven and earth, as he was suspended on what we would refer to in old language as a gibbet of wood, there hanging between heaven and earth, having done nothing worthy of death, he is dying. And he isn't just dying, he's dying a horrible, despicable death. For cursed is any man who hangs on a tree. And so the Romans need to check. It's getting late in the afternoon. Let's get this show over with. They go to the two thieves. They break their legs. They come to Jesus. They find out he was dead already. Exactly. No one ever died in the presence of Jesus. But just to be sure, because they're going to be asked about this, they do something really unusual and out of the way because normally they would break his legs anyway. You see, in order to, to sustain himself, the victim on the cross had to be able to push up and take in a breath of air and then they would slump and they would exhale and they were up and down this relentless cycle of pain. And it could go on for hours. They came to Jesus. They found that he was dead already. And that Roman centurion had no idea what was going on. But just so the scriptures would be fulfilled as far as Psalm 22, that not a bone of his body was to be broken, he slides his spear in between two ribs and contacts the pericardium. 
and water mixed with blood flows out. And as some have speculated, with that present, he died of a broken heart. But it was all about you. It was all about me. He did it for us, not for himself. And when you see him, and if you're a true child of God and you've been born again by the miracle of the new birth, you, you meet the Bible qualifications of the new birth experience. I'm not talking about church member, I'm not talking about baptized, I'm not talking about all that stuff. That stuff is fine, but you've truly been born again. You will see him one day. And when, you, when your feet strike Zion and you see him and he extends his arms to you, you'll see the scars because they're still there. He will always be encapsulated in that body. Now there was a time when he wasn't. But he took on the form of a man. A baby. And then grew up to be a man. He will always be in that man's body. That consists of spirit. And flesh and bones. No blood. The blood was shed at Calvary. And when you see him. You'll see those scars. And you'll remember what I said to you. It was all about us. I'm so sorry for the treatment this world gave my Lord. But I'm so happy he was willing to do that for me. Kind of keeps you from being so haughty, doesn't it? Kind of keeps you from being so proud, doesn't it? That we're just nothing but sinners saved by grace. The fact of the matter is, when you see him, he will have those scars. And he carries our scars that should be on our body in his body as a reminder of his great love for you and me. And so we conclude where we started. It really was about you. It really was about me. Do you know him as your savior? You know, this message doesn't necessarily compel people to flood out of the aisles and be born again. Although that would be a wonderful thing if you're not. Because something's got to happen to you between now and death if you're ever going to see God. You've got to be born again. But this ought to speak to the rest of us about this, this haughty attitude. Sometimes we act like we are doing God a great big fat favor just to go to church. What's wrong with us? He went to the cross for us. He went, he went to the last degree for you and me. He paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. I was marked forever. But he washed it white as snow. And you know what else? We come to church and we're just lifeless, lethargic. We don't have any plans. We don't, right now, we're, we're on the verge of finishing this year. And already people, they're just thinking about silly things rather than thinking about how can I be a better Christian in the coming year? How can I do more for God in the coming year? I tell you what. A lot of things have happened in the past week. But not one thing has happened that will keep you or me from doing what God wants us to do. Not one thing. We need to go right on. And shut up about what happened. I mean, haven't we heard enough about it? Do you really think mortal men can do that much? God is our source. God is our captain. God is our refuge. He is the one who's going to lead God and direct us. And he's the one who's going to sustain this church. Look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And this business of money. Some of you, your God is money, pure and simple. You can't get around it. You're just a slave to your nickels and dimes. But one day, 
Your hand will fall to the side and whatever's in it will fall to the floor. You take nothing with you but what you've done for Jesus. He was wounded for our transgression. This would be a great day for recommitment. This would be a good day to just say, Lord, I want to inch up a little bit closer to you. Not only for adults in here, but young people as well. Just, I, I just... I don't want to make mistakes now that are going to scar me for the rest of my life. I want to make wise decisions. I want to fall right in the middle of what you have for me so that when I look back later, I, I can minimize my regrets. What about it? It really was about you and me. Let's stand for prayer, shall we?